Welcome back to CDM Media's Women in Tech Insights. I'm your host, Vinny, and for today's podcast, I'm joined by the lovely Lynn Bailey, Chief Data Officer, and Sophia Paterna, Deputy Chief Data Officer at KPMG. Today, the majority of businesses are focused on implementing a variety of strategies to address diversity and inclusion within the workforce and the gender disparity in female leadership roles and career development. It's time we stop simply paying the idea lip service and instead make actual changes towards more consciously inclusive workplace cultures. Stay tuned as together we will dive into the common hurdles faced by women aspiring to climb the leadership ladder and the importance of diversity, equity and inclusion and much more after the break. Thank you so much ladies for joining me today. You're welcome. Nice to be here. Thank you. So I'll start with you first, Lynn. Tell me a bit about your journey that led you to become the Chief Data Officer at KPMG. Okay, very happy to do so. Um, So I guess my career has gone in a bit of a squiggly line, which I think is quite common um, when you speak to kind of senior women, particularly in in data. Um, So I first started work at my real job. I mean, we've all had different jobs before that, but my first real job was at a research company called Research International. And the first few years I spent going to lots of different research companies and all all now seem to be part of Kantar Group. So uh, they all kind of joined forces uh, some years later. Um, and my first foray into professional services was with PwC, um, and I joined PwC to look after their internal research function. Um, that grew and grew into kind of lots of different roles there. And then about, it's about six years ago now, um, a role became available, or an opportunity became available to look after the data agenda there internally. Um, and I kind of grabbed that with both hands. Um, and then it was when um, we, I recruited Sophia, I really started thinking about the chief data officer role because she told me, actually, you should be thinking about that. And I hadn't even entered my head to be thinking about the chief data officer role. Anyway, um, we'd kind of built out this, um, you know, set of capabilities at, at PwC, which included things like data governance, and data architecture and stuff. So it kind of was the next logical step, having had done the analytics piece. Um, and then KPMG kind of knocked on the door. So uh, I said, well, yes, I will, I'll go for that. And the Sophia's words are ringing in my ears. <laughs> um, so I kind of became the chief data officer. So that was nearly two years ago. Um, it's two years ago next month. Um, so yes, yeah, that's kind of my journey into to data here. Congrats on it in two years at KPMG. That's amazing. And, um, and Sophia, how about yourself? Tell us about your journey. Uh, yeah, thank you. My journey is a bit different uh, from the fact that uh, my trade was always data. Yes, yeah? so that was my 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 real job. Yes, yeah? so my journey is very much a, a, a bottom up approach. So I started um, in a very very technical role, uh, doing data migrations, and that uh, taught me to appreciate obviously the importance yeah, of managing data. Um, Probably because of those origins, that has been my glass ceiling, I may say, because I I always been a a trusted pair of hands, yeah, to deliver technically uh, data products, um, and because I was that trusted pair of hands, yeah, that was um, you know my 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 stopper, yeah, to to really become a data influencer. 
some, in some occasion because of me, because I put that limitations myself, but in other occasions because other people put me in that box. And I'm sure we are going to talk about putting people into boxes in this conversation and, and how a lot the, the harm yeah that 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 can do into people's careers but yeah very much a bottom up for me uh, but i'm very glad to to have the opportunities and the support from from people like Ling, yeah to to really take us out of that of that of that box and so if we're talking about um you know climbing the leadership ladder what obstacles and challenges do you think women face to fulfill their career aspirations today well, I'll, I mean, I'm happy to start, um, and then Sophia, by all means, you'll you'll have your own um, uh, comments, I'm sure. So I think there's a few. I think, um, I mean, I I'm a mum, so I've got a, an 11 year old now, um, and I guess when I when I decided to have um, Max, my son. Um, I was in a really lucky position because I was sitting in our marketing function at PwC at the time and my boss was female, my boss's boss was female um, and everyone seemed to, to have children. So in that arena, it was it was OK because, you know, it was kind of, well, you, you're a mum, but you're also you also work at PwC and you also could be a director and a partner and all that kind of stuff. And, and that was fine. So. It, it became quite, um, it was easy there. But when I moved into IT to take this data role on, it was different. And not because there was anything overtly um, going on. It was more that actually the rest of the leadership team were men um, and, and kind of my boss was a man. So um, they didn't quite have the same understanding, I think, of what it's like to be a woman um, and a mum and, you know, a wife and, and all these kind of things and all the roles that you have um, outside of, of the office. So I think it's, it, so, so an example would be, for example, oh, um, the, the guys had arranged to go for drinks on a Wednesday night and they'd arrange it there and then. Um, and I said, well, I'd love to come, but, you know, tonight it's my pickup, uh, Max is at this club and that club. So, so if we arrange it a little bit in advance, then, you know, um, we could go for a drink. And that's, I mean, that's not the only kind of you know going for drinks isn't the only thing that kind of helps you get on in, in the in the kind of workplace but building that relationship with those individuals was a little bit more challenging because a lot of those relationships are built you know not not necessarily in the office um you know there are, there are kind of many different events and it wasn't in fact most of the time it wasn't possible for me to go um so that felt like you know that was holding me back a little bit just that lack of if you're not that parent and you're not that female parent in particular, sometimes it's a little bit of a challenge building that rapport with people who just don't understand kind of your situation. I don't, that's one. Uh, I don't know, Sophia, if you have anything to kind of add to that. To add something different, I think the, the culture of the organization yeah, uh, has affected me personally. Uh, I had to move countries yeah, just to just to progress yeah, uh, that career that we are talking about. Um, from the company I came from, uh, the culture was to put into leadership position people with proven records yeah, of leadership. So they didn't give the opportunity to other people that never played that role before, even when they were SMEs on, on that trade or in that field. Um, so passing yeah, that step of, okay, I don't have experience in leading, but I, I want to have the opportunity. So uh, it's that culture of the organization of always giving opportunities to people that have already done before yeah, and not considering giving the opportunity to, to people that haven't done it yet. Yeah, and I guess if you're um, 
the way that you measure success is by you know those tried and trusted individuals you you probably it's not just women that you're going to miss out on it's it's people that you know who 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 haven't you know who are not the kind of more traditional i guess white male if we if we were allowed to say things like that in in the organization who are the tried and trusted been there done that you know been in those roles um someone else comes along who's different and if your prerequisite is the experience in that and you, no one's yet given you an opportunity it's really difficult and I think organisations will miss out um, if, if they continue to do that. Um, so it sounds like Sophia's had a bit of a rougher journey than me, um, <laughs> particularly coming having to travel to a different country. Um, yeah, so uh, it's, it is a challenge. And um, I, I remember when we had a conversation the last time, Sophia, you mentioned, you know, someone with less experience got promoted before you were given that opportunity. How, how did that make you feel at the time? And how, what advice would you give to someone that's experienced the same thing as you, but to keep on going and not to give up? It's true that obviously in order to get a promotion, in order to achieve an opportunity, there are many aspects that need to be taken into account, not just uh, how good are you technically, it's about, you know, your, your influence skills and, and, and your other skills. So, but um, having considered all of those skills uh, and having people, yeah, uh, pass you just because the culture of the organization, you know, tends to promote people that already are in this type of roles rather than uh, other people that haven't done it before is keep trying yeah so uh, I think it's a question and, and trying to change things that are in your hand so I, I moved countries just because I, I didn't see uh, those opportunities in my home country but I would say you know keep trying in your current organization and if that is impossible because culturally they are not ready for that move to a different one yeah so so I think we are lucky enough now in, in, in the UK and definitely in the data space yeah, to have options. Yeah? So if, if one organization is not working for us, uh, move to another one, uh, change yeah, and keep trying, never give up. Yeah? And, and Lynn, as, as someone who's in a leadership role, um, have you, you know, experienced anything similar in terms of uh, missing out on opportunities um, and uh, like pay disparity, anything like that? Um, well, it's always difficult to know if if there's a pay disparity because um, it's, it's a different if it's a difficult one. So organisations will um, publish their pay disparities at an aggregated level, which is fine. But you you just never know if that means that your counterparts around you are earning more or less than you. You can make an assumption that they are if they're men. Um, so the, the only experience I had is at one organization I worked, I suddenly got a very significant pay increase um, and couldn't the only reason I could think that that happened was because I was probably way out of kilter for my male counterpart so um, that's the only time I could experience but it's it's really tough because no one will people will publish the d disparities as I said at an aggregate level but I think until we start getting a bit more open about salaries we're not going to understand well how, how does that actually work how does that you know do I know what my the person doing exactly the same role as me is on? Um, if I do, I could then try and assess kind of whether I think I'm paid, pay, uh, paid fairly or not. Um, so, so probably is the answer. Um, I mean, interestingly, so we've just been through a, um, a pay round here, and and I've been working with um, 
one of the performance leaders who kind of helps us with that. And there's a massive commitment to making sure that people are, um, if they're not where they should be, they'll jump. And I've seen some pretty big jumps this year of people that to bring them in line to where they should be. So I, I have to feel reassured by that because I've, I mean, not that I'm aware of how that works for the directors and the partners, um, but I know that for my team in particular, I've got individuals within that who were out of kilter and now they're not. So, um, I ha- you know, that's great. Um, but I think at, at leadership level, it's, it's really tough because you're more, you're less likely to, I guess, you're in a smaller population, uh, generally speaking. Um, you, you, you literally don't know what the next person next to you is, is kind of going to be you know, earning. So I think it's, it's tough to, to know really what's what's happening. And so while closing the gender gap still has a long way to go, being a good leader takes some knack. And for for women in leadership roles, the position may be even more daunting. Um, And from the conversations I've had, women often need to prove themselves a bit more than their male counterparts and work harder to gain respect of their peers. However, one thing is for certain and some of the best women and the most powerful leaders to persevere are women and so which brings me to ask you what leadership characteristics do you both possess that say some of your male counterparts may not have that provide your um, that provide uh, value to your business um I'm happy to go. Cause, uh, so, um, I mean, Sophia's not, not Sophia's suffering a little bit today. That's why I don't normally do all the talking. I promise it's um, uh, Sophia does, does talk uh, equally, if not more than I do. <laughs> but anyway, I'll, I'll um, give my view. So I think, um, I mean, these are massive generalizations, right? But, um, but from my perspective, um, one of the things I've noticed that female leaders tend to have is, is very good emotional intelligence. Now, I'm not saying that men don't. I'm categorically not saying that. But I think that's a particular skill um, of female leaders. Um, and I think that um, that's great when you're dealing with a spectrum of situations, right? So you can be dealing with tough boardroom situations, but you can also be dealing with, um, you know, particularly over the last couple of years where we've had some incredibly difficult times with COVID. We've had, you know, people having mental health issues. We've had people suffering from COVID, people losing you know, family members. Um, so I think, you know, there is that, that emotional intelligence um, is so useful in those situations. I think it it helps support a team, not just from the kind of, you know, material more material results perspective, but in that more holistic way. So I think that's an absolutely crucial one. I think, again, massive generalisation, but the, the female leaders I've come across um, seem to be able to really naturally do that active listening um, which I think really helps, again, when you're trying to kind of think about the, the whole person that, that comes to work and that's part of your team. So um, I certainly find, find that, you know, you, you can go into that listening mode quite quickly and therefore find it quite natural to become a coach and kind of, you know, coach, coach individuals. So I think they're, they're the kind of main two, that ability to coach, well, three, ability to coach the um, active listening and the emotional intelligence, um, I think, you know, from my experience, um, come very naturally to kind of the female side of the house. I don't know, Sophia, what would you add or disagree with? Totally. (laughs) No, 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 I I agree. We've been talking about this this morning, precisely, Lynn. I think when 
there is conflict in a yeah. discussion, yeah, and there is no women involved, yeah. The egos, yeah, the male egos comes into into consideration much more, and somehow women tend to ease that conflict, yeah, by integrating all point of view. So very much in line with what Lynn said, yeah. And um, our our colleagues, men colleagues, seems less threatened yeah by by us and i'm not sure if that is a good or a bad thing but somehow we make the conflict a bit easy to easier to manage yeah that is only males in the room you know discussing a particular issue so joining the dots is the other characteristic that yeah. i always say yeah so in a discussion sometimes that can be negative yeah because we bring yeah into the conversation many other aspects yeah but we tend to see a much more holistic way again massive generalization i'm not saying this is just particularly for good for for women more than men but i think we bring normally a, a holistic view into into consideration when discussing something i think also it's important for women to embrace those qualities and not necessarily shy away from those things and i think it's not about men and women performing equally it's about bringing the best qualities that you have and in, and using that in a business to provide uh, value to that organization. Um, and so um, diversity, equity and inclusion is a hot topic in the workplace today um, with a number of uh, employers actively working to incite meaningful change. And you mentioned in our previous call, um, representation of women in data is particularly low. Why do you think that is? Probably a, a number of a number of reasons. So it could be. I mean, I'll let Sophia talk about her own experience. But you know, there's there's probably a representation at a certain level. Then it stops, and I don't know. But I'll let Sophia talk about that. Um, I, and I th I think it's probably not just data. It's it's probably more more broadly in technology. But I think it's it's particularly material to data. What what struck me, I think, when I mentioned in, in our on our uh, previous conversations, I went to Big Data London. Great great event. And I remember looking around the. The, one of the plenaries or the first the opening and there weren't many women there it was the I mean the vast majority were men and that really struck me because you know in my organization my boss is female um we have we have quite a female heavy team within the the chief data office here and that's not because I've gone out and specifically you know recruited just females but it's people that I know who have the the, the right capabilities right anyway so it just struck me actually that there weren't many um so I think um it's the age-old thing around job descriptions. I think that that's probably one thing. So um, I think there's been studies on um, a considerable amount of studies that show that you know if there's a job description um, and a, a woman sees that she can only do 50 to 60 percent of it, she wouldn't even apply for the role. Um, and then if a man does, he would he would apply. So I think getting even in that door. So I think some of the job descriptions, when they're heavily technical, because a lot of the data roles are, I think. Um, I think that will put women off from even applying in the first place. Um, I think um, also this whole, I talk, started at the top talking about the squiggly line career. I think some sometimes women feel a little bit, okay, well, I'm, I'm not, you know, a bit put off by the fact that I haven't done, I mean, Sophia is a great example of somebody who has gone that way, um, but a lot of women don't end up going that way. So I came into data a little bit later. And then if you look back, actually probably all roads led there, but 
Um, and I think people get put off by, well, I haven't done this, I haven't done that, I haven't done that. So, so maybe I'm not re- not data for me. Um, so I think I think there's probably a lot of the, the role descriptions and the job descriptions putting people off. And then, you know, because people haven't necessarily ascended in a, in a certain way that they're not going for those roles. So that would be with some of my thoughts. Um, I mean, so Sophia's nodding. So <laughs> uh, do you I, agree? I agree. I think as a society, yeah, first, uh, first of all, we still make a clear distinction between the expectations we have, yeah, for girls and boys, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, girls tend to be better in some things, and boys seems to be better in others, and there is no reasons why is that, yeah. But uh, um, we, we, if we take the numbers, uh, more boys do maths and physics, yeah, and the technology side than girls, yeah, and that's purely educational. So as a society, we need to start changing that from from early days, yeah. A girl can be as good as maths as a boy, and and the other way around, yeah. The boy can be as good as you know uh, something else, yeah, as the girl. So um, start breaching the gaps, yeah, um, uh, at at very early. Um, so that, that that's that's the reason. So it's a knockoff effect, yes, from 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 early early on in our age. And it is off-putting. Just to add some more, it is it is off-putting sometimes if you go into an uh, an interview situation, particularly at the level Sophia and I are at, and the panel might be all men because because of that what's just gone before. You you might question whether you actually want to work in that organisation. So it's a bit like, oh, okay, well, I'm I'm going to another interview where it's all men. Do I want to work here? I'm not sure, right? So there's there's an element of that as well. So um, it almost takes some of us to to kind of you know do it first, or, or not do it first because women have been doing this for a long time. But kind of you know uh, be brave, or for organisations to go actually hang on a minute, let's make sure that we have a representative panel. Um, of interviewers when we're trying to attract people who aren't you know like us into the organization Um, and I know that I know that here we do that really well so I'm often asked to sit on kind of director panels just to just even if it's just to kind of bring the diversity in Um, but no there's a genuine recognition that it it doesn't work if you're trying to recruit someone um, at least of somebody that that kind of looks like you um, sitting there um, on that interview panel Um, and so I mean I definitely am, am off off put or put off I should say from kind of um, organizations which don't appear to reflect you know me in there so uh, that that can be it as well yeah I'm nodding so much because um, we had the women in tech panel uh, a couple weeks ago at the um, European summit and um, one of the ladies uh, mentioned you know she was really put off climbing the leadership ladder because she didn't see anyone represented Mm -hmm. uh, that looked like her and was like her you know so I think it's really important with what you said you know having diversity on on the like in the executive rooms and on interview panels because it is off-putting for people to apply for those sorts of jobs or you know how are we going to we're putting all these initiatives in place but what are we actually doing about it so I think that's really really important um, and that brings me to ask what so what is KPMG doing at the moment to encourage um, more diverse representation in the industry okay so um I mean, there's a lot, actually. So there's a massive um, program that's run by a lady called Anna Samaya, or, or it was her, it was her she, genesis, basically, called um, 
uh, IT's Her Future. And um, we're in the process of expanding that to IT's Our Future. So not just the, the female male um, uh, challenge we've got or the, the gender split that we've got, but making sure that um, our black heritage colleagues are, are um, represented fairly, our you know, neurodiversity is re- represented fairly, et cetera, et cetera. So um, that's great. And I've been um, sponsoring our Black Lives Action Plan um, within technology to make sure that we're doing um, enough to kind of make sure we're supporting our Black Heritage Talent. I'm also, a, um, we, we have the Black uh, Entrepreneur Awards and I'm mentoring two of our Black entrepreneurs at the moment. So as an organisation, we're doing loads of kind of outreach into the communities and making sure that we're kind of, you know, put it also putting our money where our mouth is, making sure that we are trying to support people who aren't just, you know, white men or white men, women actually coming into the organisation. Um, I know the organisation prior to us joining, um, they did that whole let's look at job descriptions, let's make sure we're writing things that aren't off-putting to kind of, you know, or just only going to attract certain talent, right? Um, there's a recognition that at the end of the day, it makes economic sense, right? So um, because we're all fighting for the same talent um, and the talent pool, if you just go down that more traditional talent pool, it's about this big and we need a talent pool that's this big. So it's in our own interest to make sure that we are, you know, working with, you know, different ways of attracting talent. So as I said, job descriptions, but also working with different kind of recruitment pipelines and stuff. So we're doing that. Um, there's, a, there's an organization called Black Code Her, and we're working with that organization to make sure that we can bring some people in from that area. We're working really closely with Multiverse, who are an um, apprenticeship provider, to make sure that we're getting diversity through that pipeline as well. So I think I think we're really embracing it here. Um, and, um, you know, I, I, I've de- I'm definitely seeing a difference in, in some of the kind of ways that, that we're approaching what we do. And as I said, I report into a woman. The board here are um, fairly female heavy as well. Um, so I'm, I'm not sensing that. I mean, Sophia might have a different view. I'm not sensing um, challenge here because, I, I you know, I, I look around me and some of the senior people that I report into are, are female. And um, I think there's more it's more we can all do around um, other aspects of diversity. But as I said, with the with people like Anna Samaya driving us <laughs> to make sure that we are making um, decisions which which in, incorporate everybody. Um, I, I think it's a good place to be from that perspective. Um, I mean, Sophia, what's I mean, you're slightly different experience. What What do you think? No, no, no. I, I think uh, by policy, yeah, and and the fact that uh, KPMG and other organisations, as a as a society in general, I think we are including something by law, yeah, in order to to yeah. mind the gap uh, is is very positive. Uh, the problems is how to adopt that culturally by habit, yeah, without having a, a a policy, yeah, and that's the most difficult thing to do as a as a society. And and, and as we know, it will take. Time Time it will take, um, you know, m- many years, yeah, to to adopt those behaviors and those habits as a as a society. But we we, we are we, we are doing well, and in KPMG in particular, definitely taking the right steps to to manage, yeah, and to and to affect that 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 culture. I think also education. That's that's why you know um, we have all these initiatives in place. But we also need to educate ourselves first. And I'm talking about unconscious biases and and all sorts of things that people are not aware of, and they don't mean to behave a certain way or think a certain way. But education is so key. And I think if companies start to do that within their workforce, um, we'll see great change. And 
which moved me on to, um, you know, you're doing KPMG, I can see, I've seen on LinkedIn as well that they're doing so many great initiatives. So what advice could you give to other companies actively working to make a change, but also, you know, putting where they put their money where their mouth is, essentially? Um, I think they've all, I think organisations have got to set themselves some pretty um, challenging targets actually and, and I think and I say many of them are right so I think we're, we're looking at the professional services sphere there's there's you know there's there's large organizations doing some some really good stuff but they've they've really got to um think about well what's an alternative I said alternative pipelines for talents instead of you know just talking to organizations that can you know uh, promote diverse candidates actually recruiting some of those diverse candidates taking it that next step further right making sure that people are um you know, not just collating or curating a wonderful um, education list or kind of learning list, to your point, actually making sure that people are doing it. So we've been tasked, actually, that we have to, um, I think it's have watched between now and Christmas, uh, well, it was set a little bit earlier, to have watched two videos exploring, um, you know, diversity and the challenges um, that people have faced from, from different backgrounds by Christmas. And we're kind of being followed up. But I think you've just got to, as Sophia says, you've got to... Um, live it make sure that you continually do something about it not just at, at points during the year or points when something you know like the George Floyd murder happened right where you suddenly you know get all energetic around it you've got to continue doing this so um, I mean, again some of the things that we've done here the allyship program and making sure that we're advocating for people that are from different backgrounds and, and you know just always challenging yourself to be to be doing things like that um, I think are kind of you know my suggestions. Sophia, any any more that you would add or yeah keep an eye yeah and and put attention yeah to the to the diversity in any event that the organization may do um so if there is a, a conference or, or anything what is only men yeah so really really pay attention to always include yeah um diversity yeah into that not necessarily with women necessarily but yeah with other um uh, colors and or nationalities or, or everything and and I speak up yeah we, we can be very annoying and I see myself all the time pointing out this type of things when these things happen but you know we be, be reconcile ourselves with that role yeah so speaking up every time uh, these things happen because they will continue happening. So keep speaking up and and and, and pay attention, yeah, to to these aspects, yeah. I think that's really important, Sophia. So I noticed something. So dis so despite KPMG all doing these amazing things, I went. To, it was about a year ago. I went to create a presentation, and our our kind of photo library, <laughs> the vast majority were men. So I did have a you know I kicked off to our marketing team and. You go in there now and it's it's brilliant right they've they, but so it's it's really hard to kind of be doing all these great things and then potentially when we go and then present to our clients or our market um we're using pictures from our, our library that don't represent who we actually are right so um they've done a lot of work around that but that's that might seem like a small thing but it isn't you you kind of you know it's it's massive it's it's the perception as well as the reality and that and that needs to be absolutely right and I am, um, so I wanted to bring it back to data specifically. So I've read mm. somewhere that um, male analysts and scientists outnumber females four to one. So I don't, I don't know how accurate this is now, but this is what I've read somewhere. And um, 
This calls into question the validity of consumer insights and mainly like underlining assumptions used to generate insights or build products um, and takes into account the experiences of over half the population. So I think what what value do you think DNI uh, inclusion brings to um, an organization? Why should people um, focus on these initiatives to, in order to provide value for the business? I agree. It's exactly what you just said. So if you look at some of the scientific breakthroughs and even even as uh, close to um, to us now as the PPE that was developed for um, COVID, right, was based on, I think there's, um, I've forgotten the lady's name that's written that, uh, there's a book, I'll get it in a moment, but basically the PPE that was designed was designed for uh, men um, who were, I think, a six foot man, right? So one, it doesn't fit people who are shorter than that and it certainly doesn't fit women, right? So even as recent as the last couple of years, we've been making decisions based on, you know, information that only represents at the very most half the population at the very most, right? And similarly, the vaccines themselves, my understanding is that, you know, initial testing was was done on the kind of what the standard person is, which is, you know, a white male that's taken to, to, to what it's uh, taken to be. So I think organizations are missing out um so you know scientifically it, c it can be dangerous uh, to kind of not represent everybody but i think in terms of how an organization how a product will hit right if you're only if you're only researching part of the market on a, on how a product will kind of have an impact i think it's it's insane i mean i know um you know, some of the best organizations will target um, you know, really understand their markets, really understand the people that they're targeting. And you can only do that with the right data and, and really understanding who your audience is, right? You can't make the assumption that your audience, you know, is 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 white males, right? Because it, it isn't, right? You've got this mass, this vast kind of mixture of individuals who are prepared to interact with your product and you, you just have to understand them. That just makes, as I said, economic sense. Similarly, I mean, we, we get challenged like this all the time internally. So we, we make decisions internally and we always challenge ourselves. Okay, so we're we're of a certain age, uh, me and my, my colleagues, um, and there's a certain mix of us, but are we making decisions about the future, about technology based on a 46-year-old woman's point of view or do we need to make sure that we're including people who are just joining the organization, our apprentices and our graduates. And the, the resounding answer is absolutely yes. We, we can't make the decisions um, on technology without, at the very least, incorporating those views. But actually, should we not be driven by those? Um, so again, it makes economic sense, which is why we are making sure that we're bringing apprentices into the organization and, you know, a, a massive graduate population because we, we can't, you know, think about the future in the same way because we're not interacting. We're not that future, right? We're, we're part of it, but you know, these younger folk uh, are massively that. So I think you, you, you're just missing a huge trick if you're kind of only rep only speaking to part of the organisation or part of the population. I definitely agree. I think it's in, it benefits the company. And if, if you want to grow and be successful, that is something that they should definitely be thinking about. And um, before we wrap up today's episode, um, Lynn and Sophia will be joining us live at the Chief Data Officer Summit next week in London. Um, so what can attendees expect from your session next week? Uh, right, well, I'll start again. Again, poor Sophia, she's she's really <laughs> suffering today. Hopefully she'll be better for next week. Um, so we're talking about, so, I mean, KPMG is a massive organisation um, and, um, you know, um, quite, well, a lot of the, uh, there's a lot of organisations that are big. Um, so and we're only quite a small team. And what we're trying to do is kind of, you know, make sure that we can, 
help KPMG deliver its ambition to be data driven, right? So we're talking about how we're going to how we're going to make that a reality. So we're going to explore firstly what earth does data driven mean. So we've we've got our own theory um, and what data driven means, and we'd love to kind of discuss that with the people next week. And then we're going to talk through some of the not a step-by-step guide necessarily, but some of the things we have done um, and some of the things that we found successful and how, how we've managed to kind of, how we've honed our approach, I guess, to, to it here and what's, what seems to have worked for us and some of the kind of pitfalls that um, we think it might be worth avoiding. Um, Sophia, do you want to kind of add anything? Add to add that as well, based on our experience for so many years, yeah, and having failed, yeah, many times as well, it's as well highlighting, yeah, the things that went terribly bad that I think they are as 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 useful, yeah, at the things that ha- that go well, yeah? yeah. So things to avoid, absolutely. So we'll be an honest insight, yeah, on the on the data strategy and governance journey that we had, uh, in particular in KPMG. So uh, involving the audience with real case samples so yeah hopefully people will have fun yeah uh, interacting in this in this in this presentation I, interestingly I, I was gonna say interestingly a lot of the things we've talked about earlier about the emotional intelligence the you know understanding bringing people together you know don't want to give too much away but they're really important when you're trying to embed what is effectively a change program right so uh, it's actually comes in handy having all of those kind of you know skills uh, I think when you're doing this I mean I'm no data expert uh, but I am really excited to see you both next week and tune into your session um, and you. I just want to thank you so much uh, for joining me today um, and if you're listening and have a story you would love to share please reach out to me directly on my LinkedIn at Benisha Shah and as always you can listen to past episodes of our podcast wherever you stream your favorite podcast or on cdmmedia.com thanks for listening and see you next time Thank you.